I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It was May 2016, and there was a senior in high school in Charlotte, North Carolina, who literally almost broke the internet. He was trying out for his, his uh, high school talent competition, and the senior class, all his classmates were in the audience being the judges of who would advance to talent night. And this young man started in the back of the room, and the music started to play, and the music builds, and it built. And as he moved forward in the stage, there was an empty table in front of him, and he just kept getting closer and closer, and the music built. And then it paused. And that dramatic pause <laughs> almost led to a bottle flip. But he landed that bottle flip right there. And the crowd went crazy. And his classmates filmed it. And then it went on the internet. And it literally about broke social media. And then something happened that happens often when people observe something that does that, that goes crazy, is they started to imitate it. And person after person began to take videos of themselves bottle flipping and posting it on the internet. There were military guys across the seas that were trying to flip bottles onto people's heads. There were college guys that were like, oh, it's not tough enough to, to land it on the bottom. I'm going to land it on the top. Lionel Messi gets in the act and puts a bottle on a soccer ball and kicks it and flips it and lands it. And there were even little babies that got into it, started flipping bottles for internet banter. And it was crazy how this just took over the internet for a time, this idea that people saw someone that did something and they thought, wow, I want to imitate that. I want to do what they did and even in some cases expand on it. And that concept of observing what someone does and then trying to imitate it is known to psychologists as the social learning theory. And a really simplified take on what the social learning theory is, is this. You see somebody do something, and you go to imitate it. It's how people learn the vast majority of what you learn in your life. Think about the baby who's learning to crawl. Parents get down on the carpet, and they begin to show the baby how to crawl. And the baby watches that, and then eventually begins to imitate it. When you walk into a social situation, let's say you walk into somebody's house, you're going for dinner, and as you walk through the door, you see a pile of shoes, and then you look up and you see a bunch of socks. What do you do? You observe and you take off your shoes, you imitate. 
right? That's social learning. That's what we do as people. That's what Jesus told the disciples to do. Jesus said, come follow me. Follow what I do. Learn by observing and then begin to imitate it. And I want you to keep that at the top of your mind as we jump into our continuation of our study in Philippians. We're going to start today in chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What Paul is emphasizing here, what he says he has not yet fully obtained, what he says he presses on toward, what he says that he's trying to take hold of, what he says that he's straining toward and that he's pressing toward is this idea that the Christian ought to be Christ-like. Paul wants to be like Jesus in his thoughts, his actions, in his every existence wants to be like Jesus. And he's been talking about this throughout his letter to the church at Philippi. He's been talking about it and he's offered us a glimpse as to how. Philippians 1, verse 27, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Like whatever you do, imitate Jesus. He continues, then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We've said this before from stage, but I'm going to repeat it. In the New Testament, often, especially in Paul's writings, when he uses the word you, he is not referring to you as an individual. He is referring to you as a collective, you as a plural. And in English, we don't have a good way to do that unless you live in the South and you say y'all. But what's interesting is if you read this last sentence of this verse, it makes so much more sense when you realize that. I will know that y'all stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one in faith of the gospel. It, it, it hardly even makes sense when you think of the idea that you, you individually strive together. It, it, it doesn't register for us. But when you begin to remember that yous become y'alls, it, it, it opens up the passage and we start to realize Paul started by saying, I want you to be like Jesus, and here's how you're going to do it. I want y'all to do it by striving together. In chapter 2, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. They Be like Jesus in relationships, in community. He continues in, ver in, in verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as y'all have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in y'all to will and act according to order to fulfill his good purpose. This idea that yous become y'alls and that he wants us to be like Jesus and the way that we do that is in relationships, in community, together. In American Christianity, we have 
kind of co-opted this thought that my faith journey is just private. It's me and God. It's a one-on-one thing. And if I get my Bible and I hug it hard enough and I go sit in a room and I just get with God, then I'm gonna become like Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that that's not how it works. That's not what the New Testament writers had in mind. Now, is that a piece? Yes, but that's a fraction of what the New Testament writers call us to. What they call us to is to be in community, to be doing it together, to work out our faith together because iron sharpens iron. You see, being Christ-like, being like Jesus is not a me thing. Being Christ-like, being like Jesus is a we thing. We do it together. And for those that might be wrestling with that thought, you're going, I don't know. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, we're before the fall. Adam is in the garden of Eden. He is walking with God. He is in perfect fellowship. The one-on-one thing couldn't be better. How could it possibly be better than being one-on-one with him with no one else, no sin, no distractions? And what does God say? In verse 19, he says, it is not good for him to be alone. But, but, but we got this thing going. How could it get better? God says, no, I created you to be social creatures. I created you to live in community and to love on one another. And it's not good for you to be alone. Again, the American church, we've We've gotten overemphasized on the idea of personal and one-on-one and we've lost track of community and together. And we need to get back to that. And what's crazy is if you go anywhere in the world and you have a conversation, like I'm a Christian, I have a one-on-one personal relationships with Jesus. They will look at you like they have no idea what language you're speaking. Because throughout the rest of the world, the way that Christ-likeness, the way that Christian faith is executed and grown is in community And that's all they know. That's their perspective. To continue that thought in Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 20, the writer says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. How can you walk with the wise? If it's just about a one-on-one thing, what do I need to walk with the wise before? You need to walk with the wise because wisdom and information are different things. See, in our culture, because of our technology and our ability to access information, we've begun to correlate the idea of information equaling wisdom. And I'm here to tell you that is a a lie. That is false. Information and wisdom are not the same thing. I'll give you an example. Statistics say that in the church, about a third of professed Christians have viewed pornography in the last month. Just fact. That means in this room, probably about a third of us have touched on pornography in the last month. If information and wisdom were the same thing, what I could do is I could go to my friend Google and I could say, Google, I struggle with pornography. Help me out. And I could type that in and Google will spit out information. It'll give me ideas. It'll give me, hey, do A, B, C, D, whatever. But for anybody who struggled with anything, addiction, pornography, anything, you know that doesn't, it doesn't fix a problem because information is not wisdom. And as the Proverbs say, wisdom comes from 
the wise. Google is not wise. Google may have a lot of information, but Google is not wise. Wisdom comes when I engage with people, when I engage with people that have gone through what I've gone through or have walked ahead of me and just get it a little bit better. Or maybe I'm older than someone, but they've been of faith longer than I have. And I can gain wisdom by engaging with them and observing them and then imitating them. Observing them and then imitating them. That is how I become wise. Continuing in the passage, verse 15, Paul writes, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Like he almost says, it's so obvious that there's no way anyone would not understand this. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that, that too God will make clear to you. Like even though you may not quite see that yet, God will make it clear to you. And then he says, only let us live up to what we have already obtained. All of us, no matter how long you've been a Christ follower, we have walked this journey. There are things that you have learned on your walk. There are valleys you've gone through. There are mountaintops you have peaked. And as you've gone that way, you have learned. You have become more like Jesus, inch by inch, step by step. And what Paul's saying is, don't lose that. God is walking you along a journey. He is teaching you things. He wants to continue your process to be like Jesus. Don't forget what you've already learned, but now we've got to move forward. And Paul starts to pull this together in verse 17. He says, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, as just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Think about what he just said, three things. He says, follow my example. Observe and imitate. You have us as a model. Observe us and imitate. Keep your eyes, observe, on those who live as we do and imitate. It's a really simple formula that, again, the social learning theory is so like obvious to us, but sometimes we don't apply it to our faith. I love Philippians 3.17 how the English Standard Version translates it. Just a little tweak on the language. It says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I feel like that's really clear. Observe what we do and then imitate it. And if you think, wow, Paul kind of got off on that in Philippians, well, go to Corinthians. In Corinthians 1.11, or sorry, 11.1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What I want you to envision is what a first century Jewish person would be thinking at this point. You see, they had lots of rabbis. There were lots of teachers. And those rabbis had followers they called disciples. And what one kind of idiom that they had was that as a disciple, what you want to effectively do is be covered in the dust of your rabbi's sandals. Let me describe how that might play out. Dusty road, no pavement. In Jerusalem, here walks Jesus. He steps. What happens when he steps? That dust poofs up, right? And he takes the next step and the next step. Poof, poof, poof. If I'm a disciple, what I want to be is so close to that rabbi. I want to be so close to Jesus that when he lifts his foot to take that next step and I take my step, 
that dust that poofed up when he stepped falls onto my shoe. Now, when you think of that imagery, now think about what Peter did. Jesus comes walking toward the boat on the water. What does Peter do? He jumps up, sees the rabbi doing something, and he says, I can do that. And he steps out of the boat onto the water. That's the image that a disciple of Jesus has. That's the image that in the first century, a Jewish leader would expect of his disciple. So Jesus said, follow me. Observe what I do and then imitate what I do. So now the question becomes a little bit of like, let's make it practical. Let's, let's take that theology and let's make it practical. How do I, as a Christian, become like Jesus in the context of community? And so to, to unpack that, I want to ask you three questions and, and kind of discuss that. The first question is this, who in your life do you should you or could you be imitating? Who in your life could you, should you, or do you imitate? Like, what do people that I want to imitate look like? Is kind of another way to say it. And as I have walked my faith journey out, everywhere I've lived, every step and age that I've been through, there have been different people that I have sought to imitate because I saw something in their life that looked a lot more like Jesus than the stuff I saw in my own life. So I'm gonna just unpack one segment of that. Um, don't boo or hiss, but there was a time my wife and I lived in LA. We did repent. We live in Montana now. It's okay. But in, when, when I was in LA, there's, there's a few people I just wanna share with you how they impacted me. The first is a guy named Matt Jones. So Matt Jones was 15 years younger than I was. But Matt had a maturity in his faith and his biblical understanding of the word. And even more importantly, his ability to share that with people that were unchurched. And I watched Matt do this over and over again. And I was in awe. And I'm thinking, I read the New Testament. What did Jesus do? He spent a lot of time with the people, the tax collectors and the you know, prostitutes and all the people that were unchurched. And he had this amazing way to communicate the truth that he had to bring to those people. I saw Matt Jones doing that. And so I tried to walk in his footsteps and get his dust on my shoes. I learned over time how to be better at communicating the truths of the gospel to people that were outside of the church. There's a guy named Mike Dolan. Mike's about five years younger than I am, but Mike started having kids much earlier than I did. Um, and so Mike had older kids than us. But what was really cool is I was able to watch Mike and his wife, Joy, and how they prioritized their family, their marriage and their kids above Mike's career and above making money. And I watched Mike live that out. And, and I realized, wow, I think Jesus would have been like that. I want to be more like that in my own life. And I began to observe and imitate Mike as he engaged with his kids and his wife. Jason Constantine. Jason was a, a high-level leader in an industry in Los Angeles that, to put it nicely, is a bit antagonistic toward Christianity specifically, but faith in general. And I watch Jason as this leader walk among his peers and take rocks and stones, and yet as he did that, show grace and compassion and love 
and reflected Jesus back to those folks. And he did it just because he was being who he was. And so what I did is I began to observe Jason and I was working in an industry that wasn't exactly super fired up about faith. And I began to try and understand how can I better represent Jesus in my workplace by watching Jason do it. Jane St. John, 25 years older than I am. Jane is the single most generous person I've ever met. Like bar none, it's not even close. And what I observed Jane do was exhibit Jesus's radical generosity to people in the small ways and in the big ways. If she went into a coffee shop and bought a, a $450 cup of coffee, she'd hand him a 20. Over and over and over again. She valued people and her generosity financially was one way in which she showed how she valued people. Jim Butcher. Those of you that know me don't laugh out loud because others don't know me as well. But um, there was a time in my life where I might not have been the most empathetic person on the planet. And Jim Butcher and I are in this, this uh, couples group with our wives. And I watched this guy like live out empathy with people. He would, he would hear people's just garbage and junk and like there'd be no judgment. He would love on them well. He would just constantly show this unbelievable level of empathy. And as I walked through life with Jim over the course of several years, I was able to start to learn some of those elements. And I, I think that's what Jesus was. I think Jesus was highly empathetic to the plight that people had and they walked through. Last one, Rodney Tension. So Rodney um, also worked in an industry in, in California and I, and I was in actually the same industry. The industry we were in, um, the only thing that mattered was performance. And people were just tools to get results. And frankly, if you didn't get the results, no one cared. And what I watched in Rodney was this man who said, you know what? I think people are the most important thing. And I'm going to value people over performance. And as you might expect, the people that worked under Rodney performed at a pretty high level because they knew they were cared for. And that's what Jesus was about. And so I was able to walk and follow his footsteps in doing that. And when you think about it, like I've described six people, right? And I know those people really well. We're still in relationship. None of them are perfect. Trust me, I could stand up here and I could spend 10 minutes unpacking each of them and all their faults and everything that doesn't go right in their lives and all the areas they screw up. Just like I could do that with me and just like you could do that as well, right? But that's not the point. When we think about observe and imitate, we're not saying someone has to be perfect. They can't make any mistakes. They can't have any flaws. Because if that's our, our litmus test, we got nobody to imitate. If we're going to observe and imitate people, what we're looking for are the characteristics that they exude that reflect Jesus that we could grow in. For example, you, you might be an awesome parent and there are, there are probably a ton of people in here that ought to observe and imitate you parent your kids because you do such a great job. You also might be the worst person in this room at handling finances. 
frankly, I don't want to imitate you on the finance side, but I sure want to figure out what you're doing on the parenting side. Does that make sense? Like, that's what we're talking about. So we don't have to have this image that to be someone worthy of imitation or to imitate someone, they got to be perfect. They got to have it all figured out because that's not reality. That's not what it is going to look like, but we can do it and we can let the dust settle on our shoes of those that have this figured out or that figured out. So when I think about who I should imitate, I'm looking for people that have a demonstrated evidence in their life of a characteristic, an attitude or an action that Jesus portrayed that I need to grow in. That's who you're looking for. They're all around you. They're in this room, tons of them. That's what you are looking for. So the second question then I want to ponder is, if I know or figure out kind of what I'm looking for in terms of imitating, how do I find the actual people to imitate? How do I find those people that are worthy of observing what they're doing and then imitating it? And it's kind of funny because I, forever I've been thinking about how do I communicate this well and do, to do, 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 do. And a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and um, I was interviewing a member of our, my wife and I uh, are part of a, a group, a small group, a journey community that's for 20 somethings. And, and so, cause I'm 20. And, and so we're in this group and I was interviewing this young guy. And then I got to this question, like, how do I find people to imitate? And then I heard what he said and I was like, he can tell you better than I can. So hear, hear what Josh has to say. I love the outdoors. That is where I feel the closest to Christ. My name's Josh Nordstrom. I'm a 24-year-old living now here in the greater Bozeman area. I work up in Big Sky as the outside operations manager, so I'm zipping around on skis all day long. I'm a recent college graduate with a degree in outdoor recreation management um, from the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. And back there, I had just an awesome relationship with a lot of church friends, and we were all super close, and I just really saw the value in Christian community. And when I knew I was going to be leaving and coming out here, uh, I knew that creating community and getting plugged into church here was something that I wanted to do immediately. And after service, I went up to the new crew table and met Kristen Preby there and found out about the 20-somethings group. Went back, moved into my place up in Big Sky, and next Tuesday traveled right down to the Preby's house and was able to partake in that. And I found that the group is just a great way to establish connections uh, with people who also are Christians and are walking through life in a similar stage of life as well. Um, so really that 20-somethings group has given me an opportunity to uh, further my faith, uh, establish a deeper connection with the Lord, to help me walk through difficult things, but also to rejoice as things are great. Having people in my life who point me to Christ and continue to encourage me to deepen that relationship through prayer, worship, um, giving uh, is huge. And that's what I learned in college. And that's what I'm looking for here uh, at Journey. Also, intergenerational discipleship is something that's been on my heart for many years. And being able to walk through life with someone who's significantly older than me and has that wisdom that they can impart has been huge. It's just great to have someone in your life who has walked through what you're currently walking through and knows what that looks like from a Christian perspective and can say, this is what God taught me in that season of life. And here's the tidbits of wisdom that I have for you. So 
So a huge percentage of you in the room are, are older than Josh, but that doesn't mean Josh doesn't have great wisdom to share. Here's a young guy who in college realized how if I'm going to be like Jesus, if I'm going to grow in my Christian faith, I got to get in community. And he did that. And he learned from that. And then he moves to our area and instantly says, you know what? If I do that, that's going to produce fruit in my life that I want to have. And he like full on, like there's another part that he was talking about. He literally drove into town. His his car is full of his stuff, comes to church, signs up for a group, moves into his place, and he's at the group two days later. Like, I love his, his commitment to learning this out. Now, in my role, one of the things that happens a lot is I talk to people about this, and I want to share with you a couple of the pushback points that I get quite a bit. And the first of those pushback points is one that is not going to surprise you, but it's, I'm too busy. And... I'm too busy is um, an interesting thing. So I'll just tell you a quick story. Henry Cloud is, a, is an author, leader that uh, I really enjoy reading and I think he's really good. He tells a story in a book I've, I finished recently about a young lady. He's at a dinner party and there's a mid-20s year old young lady and she is, she's kind of carrying on and talking about how she just really wants to meet a great Christian guy and get in a relationship and fall in love and ultimately get married and have a family. But God is not providing that for her. God is not allowing that to happen. And she has this whole litany of excuses as to why she's not meeting this perfect Mr. Right. And Henry Cloud raises his hand and says, I can solve your problem in 30 days. And she kind of, and he says, no, I'm serious, 30 days. Give me 30 days, I'll solve your problem. She's like, this is the most important thing to me. I really want this relationship. And if you think you can get me there in 30 days, I will do anything you say for the next 30 days. Henry Cloud said, no problem. He says, I just want you to keep a log. I just want you to write down everything you do every day. That's it, no big deal. A couple weeks later, they get together and she recognized without him saying anything, she says, oh, I, I realize why I'm not meeting Mr. Right. Because I work too much. I spend too much time on social media. I spend all my time on Netflix. I, I sit in my apartment by myself. I'm not putting myself in a position where young men are, where I might actually meet someone and get in a relationship. So when someone says to me, uh, I'm too busy for community. I'm too busy to get in relationship and pour into people and be poured into. You know what I hear them saying? My faith's really not that important. You know, I'll just come to church on Sunday and that's cool. That's really all I'm looking for. And, and if that's where you're at, like no judgment, like I get it. But I'm just telling you, there's so much more there. The problem is when we say we're too busy, what we're saying is it's not a big enough priority. Like my faith and my growth and my spirituality is just, it's just not a big enough priority. And I think we ought to just say that instead of saying I'm too busy. It's just not a priority. Because if it's a priority, just like that young lady, you'll change your schedule. Your kids don't need 27 things. Like dump a bunch of them, they'll survive. I've got older kids, trust me. Like there's so much going on in life you're choosing to do instead of Find that instead of and get rid of it and do this. Commit to community. Learn to observe and imitate people by being in community with those people. The second kind of pushback I hear a lot is it's scary, it's risky, or I've been burned. 
like I've gotten hurt in that environment before. And what I would say to you, if that's you, is, is you're right. It is scary. There's an element of risk. And I know there are people that have been burned in those situations. And I really feel for you having walked through that. But what I would also like to say to you is this. If you leave here this afternoon, get on I-90, one of Montana's finest happens to pull in behind you and pull you over, are you going to stop driving? Just because you go out driving and you get a ticket or you get a second ticket, does that mean you just bail on it? Ah, I'm walking everywhere for the rest of my life. I mean, come on, we're not going to do that, right? So the reality is, if you make it a priority, even if there is risk, even if you're putting yourself out, even if you might get hurt, I still think it's worth the risk. I think it's worth it to take that step. And I am currently offering, bargain, I am offering you a get-out-of-jail free card. Every single person in here has, in fact, you have unlimited get-out-of-jail-free cards. If you will take the step of faith and you will say, I will try a journey community, and you go to a, somebody's house and you go to the meeting and it's just not for you, whether it's fit or whatever, whatever the reason. You don't even have to tell the reason. If it's just not right, get out of jail free card, come back to our staff, we'll find you another one. We've got 80 of them. Like, I'm pretty confident if you're willing to take the step of faith, even if it takes one or two tries, we can find you a group of people that you would want to observe and imitate and begin to grow your faith to that next level, that next step. So you all have your get out of jail free cards in your pocket. You can play it. There's no obligation, whatever. I don't know. You, you're good. And journey communities are not the only way to gain that, that fellowship in that community, right? Like you could meet with three women or three guys could get together or whatever. But here's where I would caution you. This isn't about just friendship, right? Because the difference here is that we are intentionally trying to get in the word and in prayer. And we are intentionally trying to refine ourselves. We are intentionally trying to be like Jesus. I can be skiing buddies with someone. We can go skiing for a lifetime, but we can never have that conversation where I open up and say, hey, porn's a problem in my life. Can you help me with it? That's what happens when you find yourself in that group setting where you can do that. And again, I know it's scary. I get it. But I really would challenge you that it's worth the risk. Think about it this way. Rediscovering joy. We've been talking about it for a month and a half. There are many of you sitting out there right now and you're saying, I don't know if I have that much joy in my life right now. Like, I know we've been talking about, I know Paul says it, but it's not my reality, okay? Don't feel bad about that. But if you think the way that changes is, I'm gonna grab my Bible, go hide in a corner and it's just me and God and that's how it's gonna get fixed. I'm here to tell you, that ain't gonna be how it gets fixed. The way it gets fixed is you get in community, you get around people, you begin to open up, they open up to you. You begin to observe and imitate and they begin to observe you and imitate you. And that leads to that growth that we're looking for moving forward. So the third question that I have to answer is, are you someone others can and should be imitating? And there are people that heard me ask that question and immediately said, no, I'm not that person. And I'm here to tell you you're wrong. Every single person in this room Bar none, every single person in this room is worthy of imitation. You are a child of God. You are an image bearer of God Almighty. You are worthy 
of imitation. Now, you may have to figure out in what way should I be imitated. So think about your wins, your successes in life, right? There are things that you've done that are great. I, I mentioned being a great parent. You might be worthy of imitation there. You might be awesome with finances. You might be X, Y, or Z. It doesn't matter, but you are worthy of imitation because of the things you've done well in the areas you've grown. But what I'd even love you to pay attention to a little bit more is your failures, your stumbles, your troubles, your agonies, your defeats. That's where you are so worthy of imitation. Here's why. We have a, a small group of addicts that is led by a former addict. We have a woman in our church who lost her husband at a young age. It's a group that deals with grief and loss. Now, she didn't sit there years ago when she lost her husband and went, woohoo, for Jesus, baby, let's go. Life was hard, it was terrible, it was a struggle. But years later, she's now able to change other people's lives because she's more like Jesus because of what she went through and she can share that. She can have people observe and imitate her because of what she's about. Some of you are great leaders and we need leaders and, and you don't have to be perfect. I've already said that, but I'm gonna say it again. You don't have to be perfect. Do you have a few areas in your life where people could follow you and you could learn from them? Because any leader knows you learn more from your disciples than you do from anything else. So to close up this thought, I've got a, got a spring in my hand. It's from a trampoline. This spring is full of potential. We can do a lot of cool things with this spring. But right now, as it sits in my hand, it's isolated and inactive. It's not making a difference for anybody. It's really not making a difference for itself. It's just kind of sitting here. But if I take this spring and I link it with a bunch of other springs in community, kids are going to have a blast. We're going to get some broken arms. We're going to have a good time. Right? It doesn't mean when the spring connects in community, people don't get hurt. People still get hurt. But people also grow in their joy. They grow closer to Jesus. It's risky to get on the trampoline, right? Like something could happen. But this and being in community with other springs is what the spring's purpose is. And when the spring is not in community with other springs, it's outside of its purpose. And that's the message that I want you to hear. You have purpose. Don't be outside of your purpose. Pray with me. Father God, I am so thankful for those that hear this message that are online, that are here in person. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict us to act, that it wouldn't just be good head knowledge, I learned something, whatever, but that I actually am going to do something about this. In Jesus' name, amen.